brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. Hoo-lah! You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's bad with money with Gabby Dunn. Hello, Deadbeats. It's me, Gabby Dunn, and this is Bad With Money. If you can believe it, Season 1, Episode 1 of Bad With Money, first aired on August 24th, 2016. That's three whole years ago. So much has changed since then. So as we wrap up Season 4, I'm feeling very reflective. And maybe exhausted. But, shockingly, not defeated? 2016 feels like a lifetime ago for all of us, I'm sure. Both globally and politically, and also personally. I've gone through multiple relationships, I've moved twice, I have a dog, I have a retirement account, I turned 30, then I turned 31. Jesus. And plenty of you have asked, rightfully, as the seasons have gone on, where I'm at with my personal finance journey. I definitely shared more of that explicitly during season one, and slowly as the show got more broadly focused, I looked outward more. So where am I now? Well... I started out knowing nothing, drowning in debt, and full of shame. Fun! Over the past four seasons of Bad With Money, I've learned not just about money, but about access, injustice, and about myself. Since the very first episode, I've read many a finance book and figured out what works for me and what is bogus posturing that helps no one. I've written my own book about money. What? It's called Bad With Money, The Imperfect Art of Getting Your Financial Shit Together. It's available wherever fine books are sold. It's not really a finance. I mean, it's a finance memoir, which is a genre I learned is a thing. I've gone on tour with that book, which went into three reprints and was covered in the New York Times. I was on the Today Show. I've been dubbed the third wave of financial gurus, even though I'm definitely not a guru or an expert and remain very uncomfortable with those terms. But I guess that keeps me relatable. I've paid some major bills off, except, you know, my last sweet Naviant student loan, which will be with me for a while longer. Oh, and I've become a full-fledged socialist, so that's fun. Let me tell you what I was feeling three years ago when I first started this podcast. Scared, broke, fearful, anxious, ashamed. Now, I may experience shades of those feelings, but at this point in time, I'm feeling more secure. I know the jargon. I learned it slowly, like a second language. And I'm still not totally versed, but if I don't know something, I look it up or I ask. 
I'm not letting my money passively happen to me. I am actively engaging with it. I sit for hours with a pen and a highlighter and make sure my bank accounts make sense. I travel an hour away to an accountant I love so he can spend hours explaining my business to me. The biggest thing I've learned is that money, while an average ubiquitous part of everyone's life, is unfair and time-consuming. It is a full-time job to stay on top of it all. In season one, I spoke to my friends and fellow creatives about what I call finances and feelings. And as I talked to them, I realized not only that I had no clue how most of my closest friends made money, but that everyone was up against some very unjust systemic problems. My disabled friends were dealing with outdated SSI laws. My immigrant friends were scared of the fallout of an eventual Trump presidential victory. My queer friends faced a lack of visibility in the financial marketing for retirement, investing, and anything that spoke to a secure future. My POC friends were being paid way, way less than white people for doing the same job. So stemming from what I learned, in season two, we dove deeper into those larger issues. And in season three, after Trump really did become president, we took it specifically political. The show had the strange reality of existing both before the 2016 election and then after, when for so many people, everything changed. I couldn't have come to these conclusions and revelations without help from family, friends, and experts. So to wrap up season four, let's get personal again. I brought in some familiar voices to help me answer, am I still bad with money? First, I spoke to Sam Dingman. Sam's name might sound familiar from the credits of the first three seasons of Bad With Money. He was my trusty producer. And more than that, the show was his as much as it was mine. Through making Bad With Money together, we became close friends. Sadly, Sam moved on to work on his own exciting projects, including a podcast called Family Ghosts, and he wasn't around for season four. But I would be remiss if I didn't include him in this retrospective. I was really, really excited when you said that you had been wanting to do a show about creatives and money and millennials and money, because I actually had a pretty personal relationship with that myself. Actually, I don't know if I've told you this before, but I, when we started talking, was something like $17,000 in credit card debt myself. <laughs> oh, so, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was a bad time. So I think it just, it clicked really strongly with me when you said that talking about money from an emotional standpoint rather than a practical one was interesting to you. I just had this visceral yes response to that. So can you talk a little bit about how I, I went from like just asking questions to like essentially a socialist? And I think were you on that journey as well? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I mean, I know that as we were having those initial conversations, I don't think we quite realized like the plate shift that was brewing. Neither of us thought Trump was actually going to win that election. Mm -hmm. And so I'd, I guess we probably can't discount that in terms of what ended up changing with the show. But um, I remember the, the really, really big change happening right around the time that I think we interviewed Jane Mayer about dark money. Um, yeah. I just remember getting this flurry of text messages from you after we confirmed her for the show and you read the book and the text messages were like, what the fuck is this book? I cannot deal with this. This is completely changing my outlook on everything. I feel like I'm just going to scream at her affectionately for the entire interview or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then I remember her in the interview saying, I can't remember if we left this in the edit or not, but I remember her, and I hope she'd be okay with me revealing this. Sorry if not, Jane, love your work. Mm -hmm. That she said, this is one of my favorite interviews I've ever done about this book because you, you were so aghast at the things that she revealed in the book. And I remember feeling like that was a big reorientation of focus in terms of the guests and the, the way that we put questions to people mm -hmm. was to say, this isn't just that Gabby kind of doesn't get it and has these big questions. It's that these fundamental structural issues are real and can seem and maybe are completely inescapable. And it is more than fair to acknowledge that and have that be the framework that we put around a show like this, which is notionally about being a little fun about it and a little light about it. I thought it was really awesome the way you were willing to stick to your guns and continue to to pursue the reframing of the conversations, the more awareness you got about, about these structural issues. Yeah. I feel like I started with just asking basic questions. And then as soon as I learned more, like the more I learned, like it really shows the value of education because the more I learned, the more I was like furious. And then, and then <laughs> I, 
was like, we got to do something about this. You know, I was always liberal, but it really changed my politics to like way more socialist. Totally. Well, I feel like something I remember being a pushback that we would get from listeners sometimes was, well, I wish the show just gave more practical advice. And I just remember after the dark money inflection point, I just remember this feeling of incredulity, basically, because we are so comfortable in other financial conversations in culture, acknowledging the fact that businesses are trying to make profits and everything they do is designed to extract as much money from you as possible. But for some reason, when we acknowledge that banks and financial organizations are also for-profit institutions and are probably engaging in the same bottom-line-oriented behavior that might not have a consumer's best interest at heart, that's somehow blasphemous. And I'm really glad that that's a, a fight we were willing to continue to have. Yeah, I don't care about those people. Like, this is a show for, <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't read comments. Yeah. I've never read the reviews of Bad With Money. I don't give a shit. Like, I, yeah. like you want advice? There's tons of shows like that. This is a show for, for everybody else. And I really, I really admire that. Especially because, uh, you know, it's interesting, like, you know, I'm a, a queer lady and you and you I mean, I would always say it was your show as much as it was mine. And you're like a straight white dude. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But like we you were like, yeah, no, this is this is a show where we're going to center different voices. Um, yeah. And you didn't blink when I was like you didn't. I was like, we're going to we're not um, talking to straight white men anymore. And you were like, yeah, OK. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, OK, so how. What what would you rate me now? Like, how am I doing? How am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's interesting to me now to observe your career as a fan from afar and to see the podcast is still going, still doing well. You turned it into a book. The book, from what I gather, seems to be selling really well. I see you promoting other books that you've written, your, your graphic novel and the, the sequel to the book you wrote with Allison. I know you're also doing Just Between Us as a podcast now. Mm -hmm. And I had this realization actually just before we started recording. I am probably looking at your career now and making a lot of assumptions. And I wonder if my assumptions are correct. So I guess to answer your question directly, because I see Gabby doing really exciting creative work, I assume there's a direct relationship between that and her financial well-being. And I realize I have no idea if that's true because I'm no longer producing a podcast with you where we have awkward conversations about it. <laughs> yeah, there was, for the listener, a severe lack of boundaries between Sam and I where I would just send a flurry, flurry of text messages at three in the morning with random ideas. And he very kindly was like, okay. Um, so, so I, I, it still, it still doesn't match up like mm -hmm. the, and I don't mean to disparage any place that I, I'm working for, but like the advance for the graphic novel was, um, not large at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, way, whatever you're thinking, it was less than that. Um, but I, but I wanted to do it. And then, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be paid off still in my life. Mm -hmm. So I, mm -hmm. I do still sort of break even like the income that I make is not like, oh, she gets to keep all of it. Right. Um, right. And also it was interesting because there was this article that came out about how my advance for the bad with money book was $150,000. Which, yes, but I then paid a publicist, a fact checker, mm -hmm. my lawyers, my mm -hmm. managers, my agent. Mm -hmm. Then the money is split up. So you get some of it right when you start, right when you do the deal. Then a year later, I turned the book in and I got the next part of it. Mm -hmm. And then a year later, when the book came out, I got the next part of it. And then when it comes out in like another reprint, I'll get a little bit more money and then so on and so on. So like that money gets gets doled out over years. Right. So what I end up with is essentially like a pretty fine yearly salary. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like it's not like they've deposited $150,000 in my account all at once, which I think is what people think. Yeah. So 
I basically am like, if you work a job and your your salary is $50,000 a year, that's what mine is <laughs> from this book. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. So I'm not like, so like you see that and you're like, whoa, but I'm also like, I'm not rich because of it. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, just the Bad With Money book alone, and I'm sure that's true in other forms with all the other projects you're working on. It's just such a good illustration of the fact that when people like your work, they want to feel like you're doing well because they want to feel like people whose work they love, who are at least visually, according to their perception, having success, they want to feel like that's enough because in a way it sort of validates their taste. Um at least mm-hmm. that's that's how I feel. I should say that personally. That's that's how I feel. It makes me feel like, well, I I love this person's work and I see them having what I presume is great success. And so that in some way, mm-hmm. you know, I get some of that shine on me in a weird way. I see. I mean, I'm doing, I don't want to, like me six years ago would be stoked for me now when I had like $50 in my bank account and no retirement and like, you know what I mean? So like mm-hmm. I- it's interesting how quickly you adjust to your new life and then be, you know, and then be like, well, but I'm not, uh, I mean, I'm doing, I'm, I would say I'm doing fine. Yeah. Well, something else that makes me think about in terms of that, that fandom component and, and what people maybe are thinking, I think a, a big takeaway for me, even in this very conversation, is to keep in mind the fact that when someone you love is doing amazing things and it seems to you like they're doing more and more stuff because they're unsatisfied creatively or because they want more money. It's not that at all. It's that they are pushing themselves to keep doing this kind of work and to do it really, really well and thoughtfully and completely, despite the fact that actually when you carve it all up, they may not even be making that much money at the end of the day. It's actually a testament to the thing you really love about them rather than rather than them selling out or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And also I think like Cash App, your favorite uh, creator, $5. <laughs> but I mean like, you know, join their Patreon, pay for their merch if you really want to keep them going. Because mm-hmm. like when people are like, ugh, ads, I'm like, okay, sorry about the ad. You want me to stop doing the show? I'll stop doing the show then. Yeah. Like, which is very defensive and petty. But um, my last question is, do you remember the immigration episode with Stephanie Beatriz? It was came out the day of the election, and we recorded the intro and outro the night before. And I was like, well, by the time you hear this, Hillary Clinton will be president. And then the episode oh came out. Do you remember that? I do. I do. That Ah! was, well, so can I tell you, like, my end of that was, um, so I, at the time, was working at Panoply, which worked in the same office as Slate, and Slate had planned this giant bash that night at the Bell House, which is a big comedy venue in Brooklyn. Dar Williams was going to play. And it was going to be this incredibly raucous celebration. And uh, I was furiously sitting in the office editing the episode together. And people were texting me pictures of Dar Williams playing. And people were crying and with joy at that point, with joy, because we had not, the worm had not yet turned. And I remember finally finishing the episode and getting in a cab and rushing over to the bell house. And I wasn't looking at my phone for whatever reason. And I remember walking in. And there were like 15 people left and they were all sitting on the this concrete floor and they had a live stream of the CNN coverage on this big projection. And, you know, the, the, the realization of inevitable doom was starting to settle in. And I remember standing there and thinking, we are about to put out this episode <laughs> <laughs> that imagines this alternate future. And the episode was about immigration. Yes. And I don't even think at that point we knew how awful no, it was going to be. No, we didn't. We, oh yeah. my God. It's literally the, it's like, like it's about yeah. immigration and we're like, don't worry guys, Hillary Clinton will be president. Like that episode is a cursed episode. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. There are so many episodes from that first season that, I just hear them so differently now in light of what happened. Yeah, we were hopeful. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I, that's another thing, honestly, that makes me feel really proud of the pivot that the show made because the moment dictated it. You can't really have a practical show about finances when we're living in the most impractical, unreasonable, illogical times we've ever been alive for. And it's important to ask big questions. And I'm, I'm proud that the show has continued to do that. And now back to the show. Next up, we're going to get closer to home and talk to my little sister, Cheyenne. Longtime listeners will remember my sister Cheyenne from season one, where she unabashedly declared that she didn't stress about spending money. Who is she? Cheyenne has grown up immensely since 2016. She now often watches my dog and house sits for me. She is increasingly mature and responsible in a way I never could have predicted when she was a popular high school girl and then a Florida state party aficionado. There are shades of the Cheyenne you heard three years ago, but she's grown up so, so much. And she's watched my relationship with money and our parents' relationship with money transform too. I think you've changed a lot, but I think you still have breakdowns about money that are unnecessary, but that's just, I think, your personality in a sense, which is... There was a fun one where you came over to do laundry and I was crying in my room about money and I just was like, I just need to cry in here. And you were like, okay. So I just closed the door and cried in my room and you watched TV in the living room. You came home while I was doing the laundry. Oh, yeah. And I, I said, I can leave if you want. And you were like, it's fine. I'm just going to go cry in my room. And I was like, okay, I'll be out here if you need me. Yeah. <laughs> and that was it. And that then was... you just went in your room and cried. And I was like, okay. Yeah. And you were like, uh, what's it about? And I was like, it's about money. Good night. And yeah, I just like, close, close the, the door. door. Yeah. But yeah, but I think that you have better tactics essentially, like to get through what like to have money, but you sometimes just think, okay, I have to put all my money here right now, and then you have no spending money. Mm -hmm. And then you freak out because you have no spending money. But you have money. You just I feel like I don't know what you're everyone's telling you you need to put it here, you need to put it here, you need to put it here. But you also need to have a lot like be able to live mm -hmm. so I feel like that's the only thing that I would be like okay focus on you know keeping some money for you to spend but other than that I said I think you've done much better with money you're not as cheap you're not like mm -hmm. I can't do this you know you moved from one house to the other because it was less expensive you know like but that I wanted was, to move to a less expensive place right because you didn't need it so mm -hmm. like th things like that I feel like you've learned a lot yeah I mean so has our relationship changed since, like, I've sort of been making more money? Um, I think that yes and no. No, because I'm not, like, ever asking you for money. But there are things that, like, when I moved you, you paid me because yeah. you could. Yeah. And I didn't ask you for money, but you were like, I want to give you this money. And so, obviously, I appreciate that, and I will take all the well, money. Well, you were extremely helpful. Yeah, but I'm saying, like, that. I think that's changed a little bit, but I don't think it's changed, like, our relationship or things like that. I'll yeah. I would still do these things for you if you didn't pay me, but obviously I will take money when it is given to me. Um, and what about like your journey? Like how has money changed for you since since 2016? Uh, well, I lost my job. So yeah. that was rough. Um, and was uh, I was had a little bit saved, but not nearly as much as I needed. And it wasn't until, I don't know, what was it? November, December of last year, I finally filed for unemployment. Mm -hmm. And that really changed everything for me because, you know, I wasn't asking mom and dad for money anymore. And like that felt really terrible as, as a 26, 27 year old girl, woman being like, hey, I lost my job. Can you guys pay my rent? Like this, you know, I don't mm -hmm. want to be, that's like ridiculous to me. Obviously they I were, mean, that's the situation for a lot of people. Right. But, but I had been independent for a while. Mm -hmm. So the unemployment helped. And then it's good because I think people feel shame about applying for unemployment when there shouldn't be. I don't. I mean, if you are fired from a job, you're that's what when you can't find another job. I spent six months looking for a job. I never thought it would end up being I was filing for unemployment. But then I did. And I felt so much better because I was looking for jobs that I wanted to be doing. Yeah. I wasn't like, oh, I have to go back to the restaurant industry. I have to go back to it. Like, no, I could like have money and also look for writing jobs, which is what I wanted to be doing. Yeah. So, like, am I better with this stuff now than I was when I started? Like, are there things that I'm doing that are very different now? I mean, you you will spend when you want to spend now. That's the difference, I think. Before, if you wanted to buy something, you'd be like, nope, I got to go get the really cheap version of whatever that was. Yeah. But, like, even we went to the, to the shoe store with our brother and, and his wife, sister, mm -hmm. 
sister-in-law. Sister-in-law. Okay. And you bought shoes and then you said, well, you just helped me move and do all these things. Do you want shoes? And you bought me shoes. Yeah. And like, I didn't, you know, I was like, oh, I I, I don't know if you want, I'm not going to say no, but Mm -hmm. you know, in the past that you would have never, that you wouldn't have even gone in that store. Yeah. And so I think that's changed as you're more comfortable with, okay, if I spend a little bit right now, that's not going to kill me. Yeah. And I think even a year, two years ago, you would not have done that. Well, because I think I have a better idea of where my money is or like where you've learned. Yeah. In the last three years, while everyone else has learned listening to you, you've also been learning. These are all new things to you as well. Yeah. Okay. So you know that that things have changed wherein like the power has shifted because I'm able to get us a Airbnb instead of staying at the house. Yeah, they hated that. They hated that. So can we talk about like them really being pissed off when I can do what I want because I have money? I, okay. I am indifferent on this because, yes, they were upset that we got the Airbnb. I think they were more upset because we didn't really tell them. But all I know deep down they were upset because we weren't staying with them, obviously. What happened was, for Thanksgiving, <laughs> the house was crowded. Cheyenne and I didn't want to stay in the house. We wanted to get an Airbnb by the beach. I could afford it. So I paid for us to get an Airbnb by the beach. And my parents Flipped were out. very upset. Flipped out. Flipped out. I think that they just don't like the idea that we can be like, mm, we don't want to hang out. We're going to like go do our own thing, you know? And I think that, that that troubles them because they think we're pulling away. But for us, it's just like, no, we're just adults and we need our fucking space. Like, yeah. I just don't need like fucking cat jumping on me at like three in the morning or like, Aww. okay, you know, I don't like the I cat. I love the cat. No. Um, but yeah, I just think that they don't like that you can be like, hey, uh, I'm going to take Cheyenne and we're going to go do this thing mm-hmm. because they can't say no. It was a lot. It was a huge fight. And I was right in the middle of the two of all of you guys. So that yeah, was really fun. It was a huge fight. I mean, I, I think that there's a loss of control where they can't tell us what to do anymore. I guess, yeah, that makes sense. Because they can't tell me what to do because if I if I don't want to, I'm 31. If I don't want to book the ticket, I won't book the ticket. You know, and I and I, I I've, I've talked about this a bit where it seems cruel, but when they were upset, one time where I came home and I stayed in a hotel, and they were upset, and I said, "Well, I will be in Florida from this day to this day. If you want to see me, I'd be happy to see you. If oh you're too God. upset that I'm staying in a hotel, I will have a lovely vacation." And they lost it. Well, that's kind of similar to when I would go to um, trade shows in Miami. And I would yeah. be like, yeah, I'm going to stay in this hotel. And then I'm flying back like this day. Let's get like a dinner before I leave, whatever. And they'd be like, well, why don't you stay longer? I'm like, well, I have a job. Like I need to go home yes. and, and like have my job. I'm still working in a restaurant at this time. Like I need to go home and do my job. You and I negotiate Thanksgiving where dad's like, so two weeks, you'll stay two weeks. And didn't we're like, like purposely book a show like four days before. Just I mean, we didn't purposely, but it happened. We booked be. a show that we were going to see in LA so that we have to go on Thanksgiving. Like the day before. Yeah. But like, yeah, like I think like us making our own decisions rather than because when we didn't have money, dad would buy the tickets home and would be like, gotcha, you're staying eight days. Right. You know what I mean? And like now that we can just book stuff ourselves and now that like I can decide where I want to stay or I can decide if I want to go or not, they seem really shaken up by that. Yeah, I think that they and I also think that they are worried that you are brainwashing me in a sense. Yes. And that uh, I've been telling you things like no is a complete sentence and that we should have boundaries. Yeah. And I, I I obviously agree with you and understand it, but I think that they are worried that you're like literally poisoning me against them. And I'm like, no, I I still talk to them pretty often. I talk to them more than you do. And I'm like, no guys, I'm, I understand what Gabby's saying. And for certain things, yes, there are boundaries. There are, you know, I can say no to things. But I, I'm still fr- – I still want to talk to you guys. Like, I'm not I'm not going to ditch you and be like, peace out, suckers. Like, yeah. They – I mean, I haven't – here's the thing. Here's the real thing. <laughs> I think that over the course of – from 2016 to now, the family narrative has become Gabby's a bitch. <laughs> Thank you for taking that title for I me. I know. How did that happen? Because <laughs> it used to be you. And yeah, but now not I, about money. I was just a bitch. Yeah. But now I think that there's become this – air in the family of because I have money now and do it and and I can make my own choices that they're like that that I get the sense that they're like Gabby's a bitch. I think it's more like 
no one is used to you being able to do that. So it's like a, everyone has to get used to it, essentially. Yeah. And that's why it's coming off as strange because you've never had that power to be like, no, I don't want to – like, you know, you've never been able to like have the money to be like, no, I'm doing this. So I, think I never said no or did what I wanted for like I would say 28 years. Yeah, I know. So I'm saying that's something everyone is getting used to now. When I was 25, guys, I was 25 before <laughs> I had my own bank account. And I didn't realize that was weird until an ex-boyfriend pointed it out to me. And when I got my own bank account, mom and dad lost it. Two years ago, when I took myself off the Verizon account and started paying for my own cell phone, dad lost his mind. Yeah. Like I, have the my, more, I have one bank account that's my own and he gets really frustrated. that I'm like, there's money in it. It's fine. Just leave it. You don't need to look yeah, at it. Yeah, the more things that I did that were like seen as pulling away that are actually just Normal. markers of adulthood – they yeah. like flipped out. Yeah, that's the other thing. They're not they're not ready for us to be adults. They don't want us to be able to do things on our own because they they're old. It happens. I I I guess, but like I'm 31. I don't need to be on the family plan. I mean, if they're going to pay for it. Oh my god. <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. <laughs> so now we've reached the rest of the family of that family plan. For those of you who are close to a sibling, you know that sometimes your parents skew your childhood or their actions in their own favor. But the joy of having Cheyenne as a sister is that she's there to call bullshit and to assure me that I'm not remembering wrong. And yes, our family is nuts. Hello. Mom? Hi. Hey, this is Gabby. I, I know it is. Well, I don't know. It <laughs> rang for a while. I was busy watching Dr. Pimple Popper. I couldn't get out of YouTube. Sure. I hear that. Yes, it's my parents. Karen and Mark were also guests on the first season of the show. And since then, they've changed a lot, too. In June of last year, my grandmother, the hilarious and irreplaceable Maymay, passed away. And suddenly, my parents came into an inheritance. Having money is something brand new, and they've been figuring out what to do with it exactly. More recently, they're trying to leave Florida and move somewhere more rural and yeehaw, which suits their style better. Funnily enough, my parents, who I interviewed separately, disagreed with each other on a few things. My mom took issue with my characterization of them and their behavior during my childhood. My mom believed I'd unfairly painted us as poor. I'm very conscious of not using the word poor, but my childhood diaries and later in his interview, my father, agree we did not have a handle on money growing up and there were problems related to our family not having money. And that what I remember about my childhood and what I've relayed about my past on this show is in fact accurate. Thanks, Dad. My mom is a wonderfully sweet person. She listens to every episode and is so, so supportive of me. But she equates me saying we struggled with money with me saying she was a bad mom, which is the furthest thing from the truth. In this interview, she touches on something incredibly important. My talking about money, specifically our family's money situation, makes her uncomfortable. Meanwhile, my dad has dropped all of his boundaries since getting sober for the final time more than 13 years ago when I was 17. He has no problem discussing his money mistakes on air and taking responsibility for what he did when he was drinking and drugging. It's another very interesting example of people in the same house remembering life very differently. So how would you describe my relationship with money when I started the show in 2016? You were um, very naive. You were extremely anxious. You panicked about money. You still tend to panic about money. Yeah. You you described me, even as a teenager, as being frugal or cheap to my detriment. Well, you were. I mean, there were things that you've... I mean, I'm going to be very honest with you. There sure. are things that you've said during the duration of your podcasts that I think are just mischaracterations of what our financial situation was, where you talk about wearing the same 4th of July t-shirt all year round. Well, oh, you wore that t-shirt. Yeah, but You that's... wore that t-shirt because you were a nerd. Sure. <laughs> you liked the shirt. But you know what's interesting is that's uh, that's actually just smart. I, now I love, I love to go the day after Halloween and get all the Halloween like clothes and socks and whatever. 
and then you can wear those all year round. So that's just good. That's just good. Shopping. I have always been frugal. I have always shopped. Yeah, you're coupon. good at that. You're good at that right. kind of thing. So it's a sale with a coupon. So that's what I've I hopefully have passed down to you. But you um, you were very secretive about your money situation and wouldn't mm-hmm. take any money from us. Mm-hmm. thinking that we couldn't help you. I mean, you just had us in the in the crapper as far as what our financial situation was. And and I mean, you know, so even to this day I think sometimes you mischaracterize how we were. Well, that's up for debate, I think. I think I was nervous. I think I was I felt like I was the only person who was like, guys, maybe we should rein it in a little bit. But I know that you guys kind of, and Cheyenne talked about this too, like making fun of me for being a little, or or being confused as to why I felt that way, or the anxiety, or making fun of me a little bit for being like, oh, I don't need to get a new one, or like, I'll just, I'll duct tape it, or whatever. Even like when I was looking at a new, for a new apartment recently, and you guys came to see where I had moved to, I know you guys really wanted me to move to like the con- the nice building, the condo building, the like whatever and I, mm-hmm. when I wanted mm-hmm. to move to a less expensive place in Echo Park, I know that you guys were sort of like, eh, like about it. And and Cheyenne was like, oh, I'll, I would love to move to a nice condo building. <laughs> and I was like, I know you would. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. But but yeah, but so, but I don't know where. I mean, your perceptions. Um, of us being poor. Oh, I don't so think. I don't think that we were poor. I think that there was no budget. There was no idea of where the money was going or where it was coming from. I think there was a lot of stuff where, like, obviously, look, like up until I was seventeen, Dad was an addict and an alcoholic, so there was money going places right. that we didn't know where it was going. So, like, I don't think I'm completely off base, right. being like, "Hey, the money." Uh, doesn't add up correctly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, that's true. He was in in the throes of addiction, and and absolutely, there was money going out, and and he and I used to have discussions about that all the time. Like, how come there isn't the money, and where is yeah. it? And yeah, so you don't think sure. kids hear that so in the that house? Pressure. You don't think kids hear that in the house and go, "Huh, where is the money I'm sure. coming from?" I'm sh- where is it going? And I'm sure you did hear that, but I but I think sometimes. When you talk about it, you you take it to an extreme. Well, he, an extreme sometimes it makes it uncomfortable for me to be very honest. I mean, even some parts of the yeah. book, bad with money, are uncomfortable. Well, for my, me. talking about this stuff is uncomfortable, and it's not. And it's not. I'm not using it as a, anybody's fault or anything. I'm I'm saying that it was confusing growing up, and it was. Dad was mm-hmm. like, you know, had a job, didn't have a job. I wasn't sure where he worked. Even like on the first episode of the this podcast, he was like, oh, I got fired today. And I was like, today? Mm, that's right. But the difference in you from from the beginning to now is that you're more open with us about your finances. Mm-hmm. And you're also willing to accept help. I know. That's huge. Which is big, which is yeah. really big because I was, I was, I mean, I, I almost had a heart attack when I heard that you had sold clothes. I mean, that just. There's nothing wrong with selling stuff though. I still, I sell books. If I have furniture, I don't need, I'll sell it. Like I, I get rid of stuff all the time. No, I know, but it, but it was to put food on your table. This is not to put food on your table. But that's not a read on you. That's a person. It doesn't have anything to do with me. I know, but that's a person in their 20s trying to make money. Yeah, when, and then a person who's an artist and a struggling artist. And I think that's all part yeah. of a persona so of like, being a struggling artist. I'm not taking it personally. I, okay. I'm absolutely not taking it personally. I'm not asking you to validate what your perceptions are. But I'm just saying no, that. No, I'm just saying you don't have to feel like, oh, I'm a terrible mother because she did this. I don't. Okay, good. I don't because you were a grown up. And if you couldn't come to us and say, listen, I, you know, I need help. Or you were with that idiot who told you to cut cut yourself totally off from us financially because you could be on your own. I mean, you know, what the fuck that? That's not what family does. That's not how family behaves. Sure. 
but I also think at 25, I could, I, I didn't have to have a bank account that you guys had access to. Oh, I, I totally agree. Sure. That's all that that guy was. I mean, that guy wasn't great, but that's sort of what that's all that I did as a result of what he said was get my own bank account. Well, there was nothing wrong with that. No, okay. absolutely nothing wrong with that. But um, but I, I just I just feel like you're more open to us now about the situation. And I don't know if it's because our situation has changed so dramatically in the last year. Yeah, it really has because of Maymay, right? Because of Maymay. But but still, I don't use that money, that Maymay money. That money's invested. Sure. Which and is so, huge. Which is big. Yeah. So so you're off the hook. I think I think what happened is I just stopped. <laughs> I think what happened tru- truly is I had I felt like I was I had to be in charge of everyone. And then I was like, you know what, if. If mom and dad are saying that they have it or if mom and dad are like saying that they want to do this thing, they want to get a car, they want to travel, whatever they want to do. It's like it's not my job to step in and be like, well, but I don't think you should spend like Godspeed. Like I can't it it can't be my problem, you know, but I would like make it my problem. I think a lot has changed, too, because. Because I know like there was a little bit there was or there has been some adjustment period stuff of like me wanting to stay in a hotel or me wanting to do this and and less so you, but more dad being ups, upset about me doing things independently. Like, well, I'm the easier going parent anyway. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I just mean like, you you understand that like but, some, like it, when I started paying for stuff on my own, you don't, I mean, you don't tend to like it either. Like when I, when we go shopping now at, at home and I, and I uh, insist on paying for things, you don't like it. Now it's not that I don't like it because because you can do it. I I don't. It's it's just you're my baby. I want to take <laughs> care of you when you're with me. And it's not because I don't think you can buy them for yourself. It's just I like to do things for you. I I know, but it's also funny to be like 31 and you're like, but you're a baby. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm are. a baby. <laughs> Oh, I am. Oh, I'm. I. You've heard it here first. Breaking news, ladies and gentlemen. I am a baby. <laughs> You'll always be my baby, but our relationship has changed. I mean, I think we've always had ups and downs, depending upon where your head was at. But you've always known that you could always pick up the phone and call, and no matter what it was, you could always talk to me about it. And sure. And I think that's how you're that's how you're dealing with the money situation, too. So when I can say to you, you know, can I help with your move? Will you let me? It's more like I ask permission. And when I can do that and you say, yes, it makes me feel really good. Yeah, I used to fight you and not want to take anything and be like very intense about not you guys not paying for anything because I didn't feel that you guys had it. But now I'm sort of like you know what, if mom wants to help, it's not my job to ask where it came from. Like, it's not my job. Like, right. I, I don't have right. to, like a long time ago, dad was like, I, I want to give you $500. And I was like, where is it coming from? And he was like, don't, worry. don't worry about it. And I was like, and I was like, well, unless you can mm-hmm. tell me where you're getting it from, I'm not going to take it. And he was like, fine. Mm-hmm. Now I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. It's not my job to ask him where he got it. He robbed a bank. Fine. Who cares? Like, I, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I, it's. <laughs> I'm over it. Like I can't I can't control what you guys are going to do. So, do what you so whatever. Is that because you trust us more? No, I just can't hold on to that stress. <laughs> I'm just like, fine. No, good. <laughs> whatever. Good. good. You guys are running some weird Ozark meth business behind everyone's back. It's not my business. Like, do you know what I mean? Mhm. 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 I I don't I, my mother stressed. I stressed about money my whole life. Yeah. And still to this day, I mean, look, I'm, you know, working the practice and I'm trying to ease off the practice and I'm working another job. Yeah, you but work you work a lot. I work a lot. You always have. But I, I just never wanted you guys to have that stress. I well, just, to, I somehow, just, somehow it, I got, I got it. it and Cheyenne doesn't have it. <laughs> yeah, well, you, well, she has it now. She, yeah. she has it as she's maturing. It's like weird how I just, I don't know. I just picked up. I just had this like natural yeah. stress about yeah. money that I still, yeah. I still, yeah. I think I could be like the richest person in the world and I would still feel that way. 
Yeah, yeah. I, you're probably right. So uh, are we interviewing Dad today, too? Oh, is Dad there? Yeah, you are. Yeah. Mark, can you come down and just talk to her here? Hello. Hi. Dad? You know, I have another interview scheduled at 8.15. Oh, you're, you're busy? <laughs> you're busy? No, I'm not busy. Okay, so when I first started this podcast, what was I like about money versus now? I believe that in the beginning, you were on a mission of social activism. Mm-hmm. And I think you had some misguided ideas about the um, personal management of money. For me, I was looking forward to learning what you were learning Mm -hmm. because I knew this was going to be a learning process. And I kind of know you for a while. So I knew how you go about interviewing is also, um, I used to call it, uh, it was kind of like Hunter Thompson where you would inject yourself into the story. Mm -hmm. You had that style of journalism that you would be able to put yourself into the process of getting the story out of the person you were interviewing. Mm Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I just answered your question or not. Those are my thoughts about you and bad with money. But were you surprised that I was doing a show about money of all things? That's a good question. Not well, no, not totally. Because you were you've been obsessed about money for a long time. I didn't know that. Not not about not about greed. But about what you perceived of us not not having enough or. Mm-hmm. Um, Mom said I was very frugal and cheap and like upset all the time about spending. Well, that's because she wasn't. See? And who was right? Me. So <laughs> mom was like very Does that like make you feel better. Because mom was like, came on here and she was like, you've miscategorized, blah, blah, blah. I and like making it seem like I'm saying she's a bad mom for like spending or whatever. But I'm like, you were spending. Also, you multiple times would be like, don't tell dad, blah, blah, blah. So like, I how how was I (laughs) worried about nothing exactly? Because let's let's hone in for a second. So I I started making some money and then I started asserting some independence. And I ha- and I and I had couldn't help but notice that there were some growing pains with regard to your enjoyment of me asserting a p- independence. Uh, Are you sure you want to go down this road? I know what you're going to say, but you you were upset that I well, then, was why making decisions <laughs> because you were <laughs> you were upset about me making decisions because I could afford to make my own decisions. And you no. were taken by you were taken by surprise. No, mischaracterized. Oh, okay. What what really happened then? It, it's from my perception. You made a decision that I didn't. It wasn't so much that you made the decision. I didn't care. There was a communication issue that I was upset about, mm-hmm. and and that was that there was no communication. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was not afraid to talk about it. I would have been glad to talk about it. And yeah. I think what you felt was you just needed to do it, that well, you I... didn't need to talk about it first. Sure. So, I mean, okay. Okay. So, you know, there was a little bit of uh, uh, resentment on my part, but it wasn't mm-hmm. that you were spending the money or that you could. I, look, honey, whatever you want to spend it on is up to you. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to talk down to you. Did that sound condescending? I apologize. No, no, no. I just, I do feel, I, I hope have you're felt, enjoying it. I am, but I have felt confusion or surprise, I guess, more than maybe pushback from like, oh, I, I, she got her own bank account. Oh, she took herself off the family plan. Oh, she's paying for her own hotels or whatever. That there was like this thing of like, oh, we, she's gone. She's off the rails. She has her own money. She can do what she wants. What, what are we supposed to do? Not not for me. The only oh. thing for me was that when it happened and there was no like, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm just letting you know beforehand. Mm-hmm. Not asking permission. not And not that you need my permission. It's just a matter of I'm going to do this. It's just, you know, how, what can I compare it to? I just mean because the conversation I just had with mom where I was like, 
well, but I thought I, you know, I'm 31. I can do this or whatever. And mom was like, no, you're a baby. <laughs> and I was like, no. I'm not a baby. I'm 31 no, no. years old. And she was like, but you're my baby. And I was like, see, okay. <laughs> Absolutely not for me. I am happy that you're self-supporting and that you can pay, pay for trips and buy things on yourselves and, and that you're gracious when I want to give you something, you know, and you now, thank me now and you're, I am. you're happy with that. Yeah. So do you think that your relationship to money has changed a lot since I started the show or like our, you know, me and you or like just the family in general is I think it's changed immensely. You talking about the Meaty family, like you, you and your your sister and brothers. Yeah. And mom. And and mom and you, yeah. Our relationships um, with each other, yeah. There's probably been a little bit of change in that. There's a uh, you're bad with money has educated everybody, the guests you're having and the the subject that you're looking at mm-hmm. and the. Um, the paths that these different people you bring on the show are talking about. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's changed anybody's spending habits. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I get things in the mail from mom. All I just got a first aid kit from her for no reason. Oh, my God. I um, get things um, in the mail from Gabrielle, her constantly. There are packages arriving daily. <laughs> I like that this show has just become mom and dad rat each other out on air. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I rat her out. She sends me shit all day. Yeah. I get a lot of t-shirts Very. in the mail for no reason. It's pretty interesting. <laughs> Very. And then she'll yeah, go, I don't surprised. have, I don't know why you were upset. I, I don't know why you think that I overspent and that you, you, we didn't have any money when you were growing up. I just bought things willy nilly and your father was an addict, but I think you've miscategorized everything. Oh, okay, mom. <laughs> oh, did she really? <laughs> she felt she felt misrepresented. <laughs> oh, poor baby. <laughs> you know, there was there was a lot there was a lot that um nobody was aware of. Sure. That I was. I know you were. Back in those days. You understood our situation better than than she did and I think I picked up on a lot of that. Yeah, and and I also there was stuff going on with me. I mean, I made a lot of money. I mean, before I met mom and, and after, mm-hmm. but I hid a lot of it and I spent a lot of it right. on, you know, things that I, I shouldn't have spent it on. Not to judge me, but I don't judge you. I'm just saying that it's funny that no, she was like, not to judge myself. No, you, and you shouldn't, but it's just funny that she was like, I feel miscategorized. And I was like, okay, <laughs> um, well, it's nothing's changed. I know. So how do you perceive my current financial situation? I believe that you have made some very smart decisions over the course of the last year mm-hmm. and that you are probably more secure than you thought you were or that you even think you are, Thanks. but you're not sacrificing at all for, for right now. And um, I, I hope, I really hope you're enjoying yourself. That's what I hope more than anything else. You deserve it. I mean, you work hard, and I think you're a little bit underappreciated value-wise, dollar value-wise. Thanks. But I think that's the nature of the business you're in. And, and you, you need a you need a big break, and you deserve it. Thank you. I'm still uh, very frugal about stuff. We talked about me moving uh, and, like, live, living where I live and how there's a bit of a, like, oh, Gabby just doesn't like to spend money or whatever. But, I mean, wasn't that a smart move? I thought it was. I thought it was, too. Thank you. I mean, you didn't need all that space. You didn't need to be spending all that money. Thank you. Well, I appreciate your votes of confidence. You're welcome, and I have free advice anytime you want it. Oh, okay. Thanks so much. And finally, after delving into the past, I looked toward the future with my comedy and business partner, Allison Raskin. Allison and I have worked together since 2014 on so many projects. A YouTube channel, multiple TV shows, two books, our own podcast. Though we each have our own projects, Allison has been up close with my career and has seen a lot of my financial highs and lows firsthand. 
And she's also seen me go from about to quit our channel because I couldn't afford to keep producing content for it to figuring out what to do with the money I've made over the years. As the trajectory towards my financial future has become more clear and stable, I asked Allison what she felt the future held for me. So uh, when I started the show, how would you describe my relationship to money? Not good. Okay. Poor. Okay. Uh, uneducated. One out of ten. One out of ten. Yeah. Two out, two out of ten. Well, I think because you weren't like a gambler. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? You weren't – and you weren't like – like going crazy with credit card debt or whatever. So I'd say three out of 10. I think I think it still causes you almost the same amount of stress. I don't know if you've necessarily figured out how to mitigate that. I know. Um, but I think you're being more responsible about it. And yeah, I mean, for me now, it's just like, how do, how do you not still freak out just because we're opening an S-Corp? Yeah. Yeah. That is an interesting part of it. The idea that even though the money situation has gotten better, I'm still panicked constantly. Yeah. How quickly you adjust to your new situation? Like panicking when I had $50 in my bank account versus like now we have a corporation and I'm trying to figure out how to like do taxes for that and whatever. And it's the same level of stress as like when I had no money. But I also think that that's just like um, a part of your personality. (laughs) You know, like you haven't totally figured out how to like how to be calm. Yeah. And like I think that you almost feed on stress in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, I also try to keep perspective of like this is oh, you're worried about taxes, like this is a good problem. Or like you're worried about, you mm-hmm. know, finding a new accountant, like you can pay an accountant. This is a good problem. Try, yeah. Trying to do that. Yeah, maybe I just don't hear that. I don't hear that part. <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm doing it in my head mostly. Okay, good. As long as you're doing it. Yeah. I mean, I think like also a big thing that's changed is we were talking to my parents about like boundaries uh-huh. with my family and like how – do you think like financially I, it's just allowed me to set boundaries with them more or like – Absolutely. I think you're much better at setting boundaries, not just related to money, but just in general with your family. Yeah. Um. I think, you know, I mean, I think that their financial situation still causes you stress, which makes complete sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also am just like, I can't, I can't control what you do. And me freaking out about it is like, I'm not in charge of you. Yeah. So when we first had you on the show, we talked about my like class anxiety and like feelings of, do you think I still kind of have that? Do you think there is like stuff where I, I feel like, okay, I'm. I'm catching up or I'm less than or I don't know these things that other people have or I don't know. I feel like more aware of, oh, this isn't a me problem. This is like a society problem maybe. Yeah, I think now like you you kind of um, claim like the term white trash like with, <laughs> with pride, you know, like I think that like you still see yourself differently and see the way you grew up differently but like there's maybe not shame attached to it anymore and more just like – isn't this funny that this is how I grew up or like I'm, you know, or like, yeah, well, this is, this is my background, like pride to it, which I think is a better approach for sure. Yeah, that's true. Rather than being like embarrassed. Yeah. Um, Has our relationship changed over the last four years of me figuring out money stuff? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, Yes. I mean, I think that there's like, I'm, there's no more like lending or covering or any of that. Um, and I make sure whenever people are like, how did you guys do the channel in the beginning? I'm like, Allison paid for everything. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I would have never been able to keep the channel going. Well, I didn't pay for everything, but you know, I think that now it's like, uh, much more even and even with you picking up some stuff and like, you're the one who's paid like people who do consulting on the books and you know, it's very much more even now. And, um, I'm not worried about you anymore. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, there you go. That I yeah, I pay for our Mailchimp account. I know, can you believe it? <laughs> <laughs> like it, it is like yeah, I mean, I think like in the beginning there was a lot of stuff that I like really couldn't cover. Yeah. So, which felt- was fine cuz you know, it's in, it was investments into our future. Oh, I like looking at it like mm-hmm. that. <laughs> what would what do you think would happen if I got like super rich? Would oh, that God. be a good thing? Not for, oh, your, God. Not, not for your lips. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I would do so much plastic surgery on my face. Yeah. But I don't know I've why. Told, you have a great face. 
Thank you. I've been told by many people not to do it. Yeah, don't do it. Fine. Um, I think that I would be curious to see where the money would go and what you would spend the money on and what what you wouldn't. I think you would probably donate a lot of it. Yeah. Um, I think you would save a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think, you know, where it's like maybe a few years ago it would have been like, whoa. <laughs> now it would be handled uh, with much, you know, more rationale. And responsibility. Yeah. And part of that is is the podcast. And part of that is also being medicated, I yes. think, is a huge part of it. Well, I mean, I think that so much of the, the change between you then and you now is just that you're now on meds. <laughs> I know. Like, you know, like you're... But being able to afford that. Yeah. And then now, now my whole thing is like, I feel like I'm spending a lot of money looking into like fixing trauma. Like I'm trying – like I have the therapist and the psychiatrist and I'm like, I need to go to a, a trauma specialist. I need to go to like a physical therapy for my like body clenching and trauma. Like I feel like now I'm like going to sp- – I feel like if I got really rich, I would be spending all this money on like healing and crystals. And but like- that's great. <laughs> I mean, what better way to spend it? Maybe yeah. not on crystals. <laughs> no. Okay. No crystals. But, you know, I mean, you got to like – that's the whole thing, right? If if you're still a, a bundled mess of nerves and anxiety mm-hmm. and trauma, like who cares if you have a really nice car? That's true. You know, you can't enjoy any of life's luxuries if you don't take care of like yourself first. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing about having some money is just doing that mm-hmm. and paying for a psychiatrist and paying for medication that I like would go off of all the time being like, I can't afford Zoloft this week, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um. But I I also – I think a lot of our conversations too, like I was interested in when we were talking about the like accountant that we had and then I went to a different accountant and like I felt like good that I could like have a conversation with you where I was talking about our corporation and I was like holding my own and I like had information and like – I don't know anything about this stuff. I know, but I was like, oh, my God, look at me explaining this to someone. <laughs> yeah. Like, I felt like, oh, my God, and I – and, like, that I can I can answer, like, quarterly taxes and what does that mean and what are we mm-hmm. doing and, like, that I had information. Totally. Yeah. I had information. I asked you about stuff now. That's crazy. <laughs> I still need your dad's help, but – Well, we all still need my dad's help. <laughs> your dad did answer retirement questions for me because I didn't trust who I was talking to. Yeah. But honestly, sometimes he doesn't know the answer to stuff. I think that that's part of growing up is realizing that, like, you assume everyone else knows everything and you're just a moron. But nobody know, nobody knows all of it and very few yeah. people know most of it. Yeah. Which is scary. <laughs> what do you see, like, what do you think the future is or what do you think I should do or what do you think – where do you think I'm, like, headed, like, if I get paid for stuff? God, I'm hoping that I get paid for stuff ever. <laughs> I mean, I think that, you know, the next big thing would probably be to to buy a house. I mean, I think that's I always a really good investment. And it seems so far away. Yes, it seems, for me at least, impossible. impossible. But I know, you know, but I mean, if, if you're like looking long-term future, I don't know what the step would be before that. Like, I don't know no. what the big investment is, is before that, yeah. other than potentially having a savings account that's solely for that purpose. Mm-hmm. Do you have – are you investing in stuff? Yeah, I have – I mean, my my SEP and, like, I have, like, other little investment things. But I need to – I need to do, like, separate investments. Mm-hmm. Like, just investments. Yeah. And then there's, like, still – I mean, I would love to pay off my student loans. I would love to pay off the 12K of student loans. There, there that's you go. A, that's a – That's your goal. That's a goal. And then would you be debt-free? Yeah. So that's that's the main goal then. Yeah, and that then seems I'll, doable, like within the next year or two. No, I could do it. Yeah, and and when you pay it off, they give you, they mail you a letter that you can put on your fridge that says "Congrats." Well, <laughs> I can't think of a better incentive than that to give to spend twelve thousand dollars <laughs> for a note on your fridge yeah. that says "Congrats, you did it." Why haven't you done that yet? I don't. I keep every time it comes up. I paid off a lot of them, mm-hmm. so now this is the last one left. And every time it comes up, I'm like. Oh, but maybe I should wait. Why? I don't know. I think pay it. Okay. Leave right now. Go pay it. Go pay it. Come back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That should be your goal. That's a great attainable goal. I know. Yeah, you're right. Wow. Thanks for coming on the show. No problem. Thanks for having <laughs> me. <laughs> so there you have it. I have a goal. Pay off the last 12K of student loans I have so I can officially be debt free. I can't believe I'm so close if 12K is close. Maybe before I can do it, Elizabeth Warren will eliminate all student debt. That'd be nice. You never know. 
One thing I'm most proud of is that we've been able to address economic injustices such as student debt, rising healthcare costs, low minimum wages, the racial wealth gap, etc., with a compassionate lens, all while cracking open meaningful, shame-free conversations about money. Don't get me wrong, I still hold on to some self-destructive money scripts that are going to take some time to work through, like being broke means something about my personal intelligence and worth, or that even if I get some money, it might be the last paycheck I ever get. Oh, that scarcity mindset is hard to overcome. I think the biggest lesson I've learned is that being bad with money is not about how much money you have, and it's certainly not solely a single person's fault. Being bad with money doesn't mean being broke or poor or even spending too much. You can have a lot of money and still be bad with it. And frankly, I found that it's the people with a finite amount of money who are actually pretty good with it. After four seasons, bad with money, to me, means burying your head in the sand, both personally and politically. It means choosing not to engage with money because you don't want to take any first step that might cause shame or confusion. I've had tough conversations with my family throughout this journey, and I think that's okay because it's with the intent of understanding, growing, and doing better. There is still so much financial ground to cover. I'm looking forward to many seasons to come exploring all the topics that you all constantly tweet at me about and to helping you all understand what we need to do in order to make significant change. So tweet at me, at Gabby Dunn, with what you want to hear more of next season using the hashtag badwithmoney5 or BWM5. Maybe just hashtag BWM5. That's shorter. And while you're at it, why not rate and review Bad With Money on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen? I love ratings. Special thanks to Sam Dingman, my parents, Mark and Karen, Cheyenne Dunn, Allison Raskin, and all of our incredible guests this past season. Also tweet me and let me know who your favorite guest was. I'm such a fan of all the people we've had and I'm so lucky that they even wanted to come on the show. So yeah, that's the update on me. Until next season, goodbye, Deadbeats. Bad With Money is a production of Stitcher. Our show is produced and edited by Melissa Yeager-Miller and engineered by Brendan Burns, who also provided additional music. The show is mixed by Andy Christens. Our associate producer is Kristen Torres, and our supervising producer is Josephine Martirana. Our executive producer is Chris Bannon. Our theme song is performed by Sam Barbera and was written by Mike Kaplan, Zach Sherwin, and Jack Dolgen. And I am Gabby Dunn. Stay cool. Have a great summer, my fellow deadbeats. Also, maybe cash at me $5. I don't know. Capitalism's a black hole. Stitcher. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.